0: Father in heaven, Um, these young people have decided to commit themselves to you, to be of service to you as medical missionaries. Um, They have quite a road ahead of them. Some of them are first years. I know the difficulties that some first years have with the volume of material, and sometimes it feels as if you're drowning in too much material. And so I want to pray pray especially for these first-year medical students that as they navigate through the next several months of medical school, that they will not lose heart, but that they will be buoyed up by the knowledge that they're in your will, doing what you've asked them to do. On the opposite end of the spectrum, we have some fourth-year medical students who are right now in the throes of the interview process, making important decisions, They're at the crossroads of their life between medical school and residency. And so I just pray that as they go about their interview trail, that your Holy Spirit will guide them, give them wisdom and um, discernment as they interview. And now as we discuss together some of these things involved in the training of medical school, I ask that your Holy Spirit will be with each one. For Jesus' sake, amen. Okay, let me just tell you a little bit about who I am. Um, I know some of you. Laurel, I've known Laurel since she was almost a baby. (laughs) And it's really a proud thing to see Laurel coming up and being a physician. Um, I've met others of you over the the time here at at, um, at, uh, AMEN. And um, matter of fact, uh, Carrie Scowl's parents were in my medical school class. And uh, that's one of the most interesting things, is uh, watching my classmates. Actually, a lot of my classmates are now residents. And uh, some of them have finished residency. So it's very interesting. That kind of dates me a little bit. So I went to Loma Linda University Medical School. I graduated from Loma Linda in 1982. Did my residency at Loma Linda, Finished that in 1985 in internal medicine. Um, from there, I um, was at Loma Linda on the faculty. I met my husband on a backpack trip. That was a very interesting story. To Mount Whitney over a weekend. It was back then. It was called Chapel Church. Chapel Church was having, I think it's called something else now, but having a, a backpack trip. So I went with my husband. I mean, I went. There was a, 16 of us. There were 12 of us at the time: eight girls and two guys. And the girls said, "We need more guys." And I said, "What for?" And they found six more guys. My husband was amongst those six. There were 16 of us on this trip. Anyhow. Um, so I married my husband, and uh, we, uh, I was at Loma Linda on the faculty for four and a half years, attending on the ward and so forth, um, and I was also the POW physician of the VA. It was an interesting experience. Um, from there, I, moved, I got married to my husband, moved to Ohio, and went to academics. I'm the program director for the residency in internal medicine. That has been a very re- rewarding job. I took over as program director a little over a year ago um, at Kettering. So how many of you have been to Kettering? Yahoo, awesome. Okay, have you guys seen me? You haven't? What did you do at Kettering? You did neurology. Okay, and you did neurology also. And somebody over here went to Kettering, too. Carrie, you were at Kettering? No, 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 not so far as the rotation goes. Because Loma Linda has, uh, we have a great affiliation with Loma Linda, and so uh, the the students can come and rotate. So I hope you come and rotate Um, as a a third-year student. And as a fourth-year student, you can come and rotate at Kettering. about uh it depends on the year we have sometimes up to half of our residents are from loma linda in internal medicine uh, and so forth so that's what i do i'm a program director and uh, this <laughs> is the time i know of year when the fourth years are interviewing um let me first i want to make sure i address your concerns. so what questions as you're a first year and so forth what questions do you think are important i was given some questions by john shin do you guys remember john shin he gave me some questions that medical students are concerned about that I should address. Um, but I want to know what you think that we should address. I have some, some things I want to make sure we cover. But what things are on your heart? What things are burdening you guys? Yes, go ahead. Is it OK if I have no idea where I want to be? You know, the, probably one of the most common things that uh, medical students face is, OK, I want to go to medical school. <laughs> you guys are you laughing because that's where you are? <laughs> It's like, I want to go to medical school. You get to medical school, and then you're like, now what? Right? Now, what you don't want to do, and some people have ended up where they are at the end of the fourth year of medical school, and they still really don't know, so they do what they call, we didn't have that when I was growing up in medicine, but they split the fourth year, so give them more time to experience some the rotations. Um, I don't think that's really where you want to end up. Has anybody here done that yet? No. You guys have split the fourth year. Do you guys want to comment on, on your, what the circumstances were that you split the fourth year? Uh, well, it's not only just one reason. Uh, get, uh, but one of them is because are married. Oh, congratulations. So not a okay, congratulations. That's fantastic. So, some people do that, and, and, and to them, it, it could be a benefit. If you don't know, and I, that's one thing I want to talk about uh, a little bit in terms of making a decision what you want to do when you grow up. Yes. Okay? So we're going to talk about that a little bit. I'm going to give you an, a story, that, an example, of somebody that this happened to. Anything else that you guys, are, uh, questions that you have that you want me to address this afternoon? Yes, go ahead. Um, could you comment on, perhaps, what specialty, um, you would recommend for, say, OK. Perhaps, like, staying in the US. OK. How many DMAs are here? You're, OK, Laurel's a DMA. You're a DMA. And, but you're not a DMA, no. right? OK. All right, let me first, uh, as I talk about that, let me first address the issue of choosing a specialty, um, choosing a program for the fourth years and choosing a specialty. I'm a program director, like I said, I interview people from everywhere. Now our hospital, Kettering Hospital, is a faith-based institution like Loma Linda. Personally, I love being at a faith-based institution, me personally, I have never lived in a place in my entire life that was not predominantly Adventist. I, that's, that's how I grew up. Um, and I have never worked at a place that was not um, Adventist. So that's an interesting thing. So first of all, I want to talk about choosing a program. So as you interview, how many of you have begun the interview process, right? You've gone to interviews? Okay. How, what, what's, what's the experience been like? Great. Great. What are you applying for? Ophthalmology. Okay. Now, what are you applying for? Um, OBGYN. OBGYN. Okay. Very good. All right. You'll be a great OBGYN. <laughs> um, so, let me tell you uh, the story. A couple of stories. One of them is about um, one of my, actually, the, the the gentleman, and he wouldn't mind. He tells everybody this story. He's a Lumalinda graduate. Um, And I'll tell you his story. He is now my associate program director in internal medicine. Okay. When he was a fourth-year medical student, he came to to Kettering for a rotation. And uh, he came to to Kettering for a rotation in internal medicine. Um, He loved it. Now, at that time, he was applying and going to be going through the match for anesthesiology. And that's where he was going—anesthesiology. How do you, how do, you, how do you suppose he decided to become an anesthesiologist? His family told him, "You know what? They make more money. The lifestyle is good, and it's more prestigious." Now, what do anesthesiologists do after <laughs> they've After they've slept? After they've slept well, sometimes they sit and watch the screen, but oftentimes just getting the patient you know, in a place for surgery requires procedures. Um, intubations, sometimes central lines, swan-gans catheters, arterial lines, and so forth. But so it's, procedurally, it's a procedurally-based specialty, OK? So um, he was told that they make more money, the, the lifestyle is better, and it's more prestigious to be an anesthesiologist. His friends told him, that would be his parents' friends, so his parents told him to do anesthesiology. And um, all these people were telling him, you need to do anesthesiology. He hated anesthesiology. Okay. So um, he came as a fourth-year medical student, loved internal medicine, told his family, I love internal medicine. They said, no, you're going to do anesthesiology. So um, he came... To Kettering, so when you do anesthesiology or ophthalmology and so forth, you need to do a preliminary uh, medicine or some one-year clinical uh, year before you actually start the, re- the uh, core residency that you're, you're gonna be doing. So he came to, to Kettering, he got into to anesthesiology at Loma Linda, but was gonna do his transitional year at Kettering, okay? So when he came to Kettering, um, he started his rotations, loved it. He came to my office and said, I love Internal medicine, I cannot do anesthesiology. I hate procedures. Not only do I hate procedures, I'm afraid of procedures. Now this story gets horrible. So he came to my office several times over the first two or three months of, res- of his, his internship. And he was sitting in a chair I, I'm in my, my chair, and he's sitting in, in the chair and his leg was going up and down. I could not even possibly move my leg that fast. He was so nervous, as he was telling me that he was nervous, he was shaking, shaking, thinking about the possibility of doing procedures. And also being in a situation where it was a crisis like a code, what am I going to do in a code? I'm going to run out of the room. He literally said he was going to run out of the room in a code. If the patient (laughs) crashed, they would burn under his care. He wasn't going to do it. So I said to him, Adam, you're in the wrong profession. He talked to his parents, his parents said, oh, it's just a phase, you'll get over this. Well, the next few weeks went by, and, and he was getting more and more anxious. And so I said, Adam, you need to make a change. What I want you to do is, I want you, he goes, I want to be an internist. I said, okay, how do you decide what your career is going to be? How do you choose a specialty? I said, I want you to write down your, your personality traits. What things you think are your strengths? What things about medicine you particularly enjoy? You write those down in a list. I want you to make two columns. One with anesthesiology, one with internal medicine. What, is, what are my personal traits of character? What are my temperament like, my personality, and so forth? What are my likes, my dislikes? Um, how has God gifted me? All the specific gifts I have, write them all down. Write down in anesthesiology and internal medicine. And I want you to make a check off boxes. Very scientific. Um, and when he got all done with it, took about, oh, about a week or so, went through this whole process. I asked him, the whole bunch of stuff I asked him to do. He did everything, checked off all the boxes, came back to my office, and, this, and now he was even more nervous. He said, I have to be an internist. His mom flew to Ohio to come to meet with me, which she did. And I was grateful to meet with both of them, sat down with both of them, had two sessions, two lengthy sessions, three hours each with them together. As he was shaking... And she was pleading. And um, so finally, uh, she said, he needs to see a psychologist because he must be crazy. This is a no-brainer. And so they actually did. They went and and saw the psychologist. The psychologist said he just needs to do internal medicine. Now, (laughs) do you guys understand the match process, right? Once you've matched, you have a legally binding agreement, between you and the program. Getting out of the match or breaking that contract is a serious offense. OK, you could go into the record forever that you broke the match and so forth like this. But you have to go through a, a, a huge formality to get out of the match. So the first thing I did was I had to call the program director Loma Linda in anesthesiology, explain the situation. He said clearly he would not be a good fit for anesthesiology. That was taken care of. That. I wrote letter to the match, explained to the match. It took about a month. Or about two months, actually, two month long process this took, and he was finally released from the match in February of that following year, and then he started internal medicine with us. Okay, very important. First of all, um, I'll tell you another story about another, another person too. But so far as choosing a specialty, I don't think it's rocket science. And um, one of the thing, things I think that many Seventh day Adventists, was Homer Tree Carton your dad? Your uncle, he gave a phenomenal talk at ASI probably three years ago about mission work. It was just fantastic. I'm sorry. I just saw your name. All right. Um, What do you want to go into? I don't know yet. Okay. That's okay. Do exactly what I said, okay? It is not rocket science. Now, I've had enough residents come to me over the years and tell me this thing right here. I don't know if it's God's will that I become a cardiologist. You know how it works, right? You do internal medicine first, then you do all the specialties after that. I don't know if it's God's will that I should do endocrinology, or I don't know if it's God's will I should do such and such. I wonder what God's will is. And they struggle and struggle over God's will. How do you know God's will? That's one of the first things. How do you know God's will for your life? There's lots of whispers. (laughs) If I can't hear any. Okay, you ask him. What does he tell you? It's written in the Bible? Okay. God does not have anything in the Bible that says, Laurel, you need to be a pediatrician. That's not in there. Amen. <laughs> I figured that would be an amen, yes. That is not written in the Bible, right? Okay. Now, God does not... Make us do something that is absolutely not the way he designed us to be, according to our natural bent. First thing, there is something that God, there's several things God says about his will. His will is that you be sanctified, right? The will of God is your sanctification. So the first thing that God has for all of us is that we follow him, that we put him first in our lives, okay? The will of God is that he be first in our lives, that we order our lives according to his principles, okay? He has gifted each one of us so uniquely. We're also unique entities, and we cannot apply um, some arbitrary thing to any one person that you need to go do this and that. For example, the Hadley family, right? Family tree of urologists, you guys have seen that, right? It's just hilarious. I know there's some other families that have similar stuff. The, um, oh, what's those, the, the Slaters. You know the they're, they're two Slaters, right? The Slaters, that's another funny family, right? Jerry Slater was in my class, the, the younger. He has some sons that finished, one finished last year and was a senior now. Uh, and the one that finished last year, went to, to, to radiation oncology. Mm-hmm. three, one in my class. One in, class one in your class. Okay, so there's all these radiation oncologists. Now there may be some peer pressure there, I'm not sure. I'm beginning to get suspicious. <laughs> Under the third and fourth generation is what's going on here, I don't know what happens after that. But anyway, uh, God does not, there's not some magic about it. God wants you to be happy, he also wants you to be, to live according to his principles. I think it's as simple as that. There's no magic in this. I've had residents come to me when they're applying for fellowship because their parents disagreed with them doing a particular fellowship, why? They have to go out of the Adventist system to train in a non-Adventist institution. We're going to talk about that in a little bit. But that's always a a concern. So first of all, I believe as as medical students, you need to be rooted and grounded in the Word of God. That's the first thing. Be rooted and grounded in the Word of God. Give your lives completely, completely to God. After that, you can do the right thing. Why? You can make the right choices, the choices that God asked you to make. Then he's given you talents, use your talents, write down your talents, have people, if I say you know something, you're really good, you're good with, with, uh, with children, or, or whatever. You're very talented with your hands. Um, and and uh, that will really bless you. My husband um, is a, an interventional cardiologist, and his track was very interesting, I have to tell you Brian's story. Um, when Brian was a medical student, He loved OBGYN, loved it. Now, Ellen White makes some statements that, are you guys familiar with the statements she makes? She makes some statements that men should take care of men and women should take care of women. One of his godly classmates, a person who I love very much, came to him and said, Brian, it's wrong for you to go into OBGYN. Brian took the counsel, and he decided he would do something else. My husband is very gifted with his hands. And so um, he went for an elective to Uchi Pines. And while he was at Uchi Pines, they told my husband, who loves to use his hands, doesn't like using his head that much, but loves to use his hands. (laughs) They told him, you need to get one year of training and go out and practice, be a GP, whatever. But they also told him, if you don't do that, be an internist. My husband hates internal medicine. He hates it. Okay, here is a man gifted with his hands who was told by somebody that you know this would be the right thing for me to do would be to, to do internal internal medicine. He did internal medicine, and uh, at at catering, and then um, I said, well, Brian, this this is this is me now. So I said, Brian, this is good enough. Aren't you happy? It's okay. Just just be an internist. Well, after about five years of him being an internist, one morning in November of 1998, I woke up and realized that my husband was depressed. He needed to move on. And all of a sudden I recognized that God has gifted each person so uniquely, you cannot do what somebody else wants you to do. you got to do what God wants you to do. You can write that, you can find that out, okay? And it was a, this is the most miraculous story you've ever heard because... I woke up and I just, it was like a bolt of, I said, Brian's depressed. So I said, I woke up and said, Brian, I said, you need to do cardiology. You need to apply right now. This is like, this is in November. So you need to apply right now. And he's like, what, what happened to you overnight? So I woke up and literally it was just like that. Now, my husband also doesn't like paperwork. So I said, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to fill out the applications for you. And I did. I filled them out for him. I did every application. I called the programs, called Lobel Linda, got his transcript, did all this kind of stuff. Set off the applications like the leaves of autumn. <laughs> and now, back then when you interviewed, you interviewed uh, in the spring for the July of the year following. So his interview was going to be in the spring of 1999. Of, of 1999 uh, for this, and he would have a position beginning in July of 2000. So he went for his interviews all over the place, and I loved Kettering, wanted to stay in the Adventist system. University of Cincinnati was close. I wanted to be able to go to the University of Cincinnati. I said, Oh well, Brian, I sure hope you get into the University of Cincinnati. Um, and uh, I, had, I, I also had written out a list of things that had to be accomplished before he began his fellowship. Uh, financial goals that I want to talk about, about finances, too, with you guys. I had all these financial goals that we had to accomplish before he started his fellowship. One day, I got a call from Brian. This was now in May. Match day for cardiology was going to be in, at the, uh, in June. In May, May 15 or so, Brian called me and said, Dr. Hadamer, who was the program director in Cincinnati, just called me on the phone. He goes, I think he's called me to tell me that I'm not going to get into, into cardiology. I said, Brian, as program directors, we don't call people to tell them they're not going to get it. We just ignore them. <laughs> so he said, okay. I come home and... I'm looking for Brian, and I can't find him. He's out on the tractor driving around our property. And there's a message on the machine, and I, we have a landline. Do you guys know what that is? <laughs> so I, I got the message. It was Dr. Hadamer. I, I said, Brian said, Dr. Hadamer, called. Get back in the house. Call him back. I'm into my prayer closet. I'm in my prayer closet, and Brian's on the phone talking to Dr. Hadamer. He comes out. He says, I got accepted to cardiology. I'm beginning in six weeks. My first reaction, I said to Brian, that is not an answer to prayer, but it was. I mean, and that, I think I knew for sure that God woke me up that November in 1998. My husband got into cardiology that a year early. Praise the Lord. He needed to get into to cardiology, and um, I have no doubt that God led Brian into cardiology. He's a great cardiologist. He loves it. And so God doesn't want you to be an internist when you should be an ophthalmologist, Right? He doesn't want you to be, a, to be an intern when you should be a surgeon. Very different field. So, so really ask our prayer. God, look at, look, at, look at the way God has gifted you and use that gift that God has given you. If he hasn't given you good hands, don't be a neurosurgeon. It's just not going to work. <laughs> do something that God has gifted you to do. First thing then, make sure you are living according to God's principles. Make sure you are rooted and grounded in the word of God. Make sure that's your number one priority. On the objectives there, I said, how do you maintain the big three? What are the big three? On the objectives I have, I said, to maintain the, the big three as you progress through your residency. Now, so far as I'm concerned, the big three go back to the foundations, which is prayer, your Bible study, and sharing. When you are in medical school and when you are... In residency it will be difficult for you you'll have to find time to make time to do the important things your Bible study time your prayer time very important Um, I believe that the very first thing you should do in the day is to wake up first thing in the morning and have that sweet hour of prayer with God first thing make it a priority now when you're a resident because of the way the day goes and you're on call and so forth um, You can't save it up to the end of the day because you're so tired and sick of everything. You just want to collapse. Don't buy a television. That's that's the first piece. Don't buy a television. It is a worthless piece of equipment. Don't buy a television. Instead, add an hour to the beginning of your day, that 5 o'clock to 6 o'clock time, whatever, and then go to the hospital after that. But get that hour of prayer and your Bible study devotional time, and it'll guide the rest of your entire day. You can't read. I was laughing in Sabbath school the other day. You can't look at the news. Because you believe that ISIS is on your border bringing Ebola to your doorstep. <laughs> Literally. So don't look at the news. Stick with God in the morning first thing. Ask him to guide your day. That's how you start off. Wake up early in the morning at 5 o'clock. So, so far as choosing a residency, there's no magic to it. Live according to God's principles and according to your character, your traits of character, what God has given to you. Choose a specialty and with confidence you can move ahead. You don't have any doubt. You can move ahead. Now, if you have no hands, no gifted with your hands, and you want to be a neurosurgeon, God can't make that happen. There's like no way he can make that happen. (laughs) So you can't do uh, that kind of thing. All right. Now, choosing where to do a residency, that's another interesting thing. Um, I'll tell you an interesting story that I had. First of all, I'll tell you my own personal bias. My personal bias is Seventh-day Adventist education. I'm a huge fan of Seventh day Adventist education. I believe in it with all my heart. I was educated in the Adventist system, and I believe it's, as, as Adventist young people, this is really important. I also believe that as physicians, you're not going to go out there, you can make a lot of money, by the way. I'm going to talk about money, but you can make a lot of money, but that is not why you guys or I went to medical school. You are medical missionaries. I'll tell you a funny story. So I said, I'm a program director, right? This is interview season. Uh, two years ago, the spring of that would have been what, 2012? I was interviewing applicants who would be beginning residency that July. Now that would have been the that, yeah, that winter. The match day is in March of 2012 to begin in July. I was interviewing applicants. I reviewed this one guy's application, and he was a he was interviewing from the University of Cincinnati. He went to medical school at the University of Cincinnati. And everyone that's a state school, right? Um, I saw on his application, though, that he went to Spring Valley Academy. Academy. Who else calls it Academy but Adventists? I said, that's interesting. You know, you don't ask about religion when you interview people, right? They can't ask about religion. So and I saw he went to undergrad at Miami University of Ohio. I thought, now, that's another interesting piece. So he comes to my office, and he's, he's sitting down for the interview, and we're talking along, et cetera, et cetera. So I said, um, how did you manage to go to Spring Valley Academy? <laughs> and he said, well, I'm a Seventh-day Adventist. I said, okay. I said, well, how did you end up at Miami University? He goes, I got a full-ride scholarship. I said, Okay. I said, uh, and by the way, I'm going to tell the same story tomorrow. It's in my slide for tomorrow morning. It's devotional. devotional. I said, um, well, how did you end up at the University of Cincinnati? Because well, I was looking around, I wanted to get the best education, and so I went to the University of Cincinnati. At that point, I know it was the Holy Spirit spoke to me and said, put your pen down and talk to him. I put my pen down. I said, okay, I'm going to tell you something. I said, I'm going to do something I have never done in my career spanning more than three decades i said i'm going to tell you where you have to go to, your, to do your residency i said yeah, well, you only have two choices loma linda or kettering that's it he looked at me i mean he looked at me literally his eyes were like bigger saucers and i said i'm i'm telling you i'll tell you why I'm, i just told you i said you have now gone to college at a secular institution medical school at a secular institution and you are going to be a medical missionary. You need some training. The training you're going to get is at an Adventist institution. You can't go anyplace else but one of these two places. He goes, oh, okay." And then I said, more than that, I'm going to give you an assignment. I want you to go home. And over the next few weeks, before you start residency at Kettering, I want you to read the first 100 pages of Ministry of Healing. He goes, I don't even have that book. I said you can buy it. And uh, he actually ranked Kettering number one. He's at Kettering, he's one of our residents at Kettering. Now that does not mean that everybody has to go to an average institution for the residency. Clearly, you don't have, you know, there are very few programs. Loma Linda has ophthalmology and dermatology and neurosurgery and everything else. Um, as you choose a program, though, make sure that you understand the culture of that institution. Institutions, residency, my husband, my husband went to do cardiology. This is, a, this is very funny. My husband went to do cardiology at the University of Cincinnati. I thought he was going to quit in the first six months. He came, home, he came home and said to me, Lindy, I think that every fellow in Cincinnati is an alcoholic. <laughs> <laughs> I said, why? Well, he had never known before that doctors drink alcohol. <laughs> and this came to him as a, an incredible disappointing surprise obviously he stuck with it there's a good friend of ours who did a, who went wanted to do internal medicine at a prestige institution so she went to do she went to another institution to do in, to internal medicine and she decided to, to quit at the end of the first year and go back to Loma Linda because she said if I want to get married I want to marry a Seventh-day Adventist and I don't want to marry an alcoholic I mean Adventist young people go to some it's like for them it's like their eyes are open I've never seen this stuff before be prepared to understand. When you go to interview and they want to take you out and the residents start telling you about all the bars and the, and the happy hour what whatnot, avoid the place. There are many places you can go that don't have the happy hour up in the front. Okay? And the pa- people come and tell me these things. That the residents know about the happy hour. I'm like, you're kidding. They're talking about this stuff. Unbelievable. Once One, uh, one person told me they showed the, the website of this particular university. The ones who've been arrested for DUI, I'm thinking, you're kidding. This stuff is unheard of. Be very careful as you interview what kind of program you're going to. There's some that have wonderful cultures for education, and you can look at those. For example, I think the Mayo Clinic is really a quite a good institution. There's a wonderful culture at the Mayo Clinic of service, and, and they have suits, and you're professional, and all that kind of stuff, so it's, it's, it's very nice. Okay, so those are issues of how to choose a residency. Be careful. Talk to the residents. Find out who am I going to be working with. Um, what are the habits like? What's the most important thing to these residents? Is it going out and partying, or is it going to be something that you can actually fit into the culture in? Uh, and, as a, and then you need to just be a strong as a strong person. You set the tone for the residents. Invite them to your home uh, for Friday evening supper, whatever. But you need to set the tone. You need to be the, the leaders. And so far, as specialty, there's no magic in it. Okay. Um, so far as the mission field, what specialty so far as the mission field goes? Almost anybody can go to the mission field. Depends where you're going. One of our residents, we have several residents that we have at Kettering that are DMAs. Several of them are DMAs. And they've gone and to the mission field and done infectious diseases uh, um, in um, I think of the name. I can't remember the name of the country, Mozambique, but anyhow. Uh, no, not Mozambique. Mozambique. Malawi. Um, but he's an internist. You're doing infectious, infectious d- diseases. We have another person, um, and uh, he's an endocrinologist, uh, going to uh, Guam Clinic. Is Guam the mission field? You can still dial right off the bat and get somebody on the phone right away. I don't know. But it's kind of a mission field. Um, others, so, so lots of our residents have gone as internists and, and are doing that. One of, the, one of the students from Loma Linda, who, who trained at Johns Hopkins, was a DMA and he did infectious diseases fellowship and went to the mission field. So you can still be an internist and go to the mission field. I already told you my husband um, is, a, is a cardiologist, interventional cardiologist, but he's gone to the mission field and helped out you know, with splenectomies and stuff like that because my husband thinks, you see one, you do one. I saw one in medical school back 20 years ago. I can do it today. That's how he thinks. So anyway, if you're that kind of person, gift you with your hands, you think about it, you just go do it. He, he has dreams that he and I doing knee replacements in Turkey really interesting. So so yeah, you can do a whole lot. (laughs) Really pay attention when you're in medical school. You can do all kinds of stuff. Um, Obviously, orthopedic surgery, huge in the mission field. General surgery, huge in the mission field. Ophthalmology, the eye stuff is huge in the mission field. If you have those, OBGYN, you're in good shape. As an internist, it's a little bit more creative to figure out what you, what you can do in the mission field, but I would say if you're a doctor going to the mission field, you can do almost anything. Pediatrics, you can do almost anything in the mission field. All right. Anything else that you want to know before I launch into other things like uh, money? <laughs> other questions that you guys, you guys must have some other burning things. What, as you guys, have, the ones who have interviewed, who who is interviewed right now actively for residency? You have interviewing. And you're interviewing actively. What have you guys found on the interview trail as you're interviewing with programs? Okay. Well, now, what are you going into, Megan? Okay. Okay. All right. Megan's dad uh, grew up with us in College Place, Washington. So. What you, and how, how, how have your interviews been going? What's, what have you noticed? Um, I guess one of the things I noticed is that if you're ACGME accredited, yes. you're a good program. Yes. So you're going to come out a solid decision maker. And so it sort of falls, honestly, to things that I didn't expect, like location, like culture of the residents. I think as far as choosing a specific program, as long as, as, long as they're accredited, you know, it's going to be a solid program, which you know, all of them are accredited. I am so glad you said that. Um, the ACGME certifies programs, the certifying body for for residency programs. There is a very, I want to say this very carefully, there's a very concerning idea amongst Adventists that somehow uh, you want to go to the biggest, the Ivy League, whatever, so forth like that. It's not the case. The fact of the matter is you go to a great program, and Kettering is a great program for internal medicine. If you go to a great program um, with a program director who really cares about residents, you're going to get a great education. A great education. Um, and uh, when, when it's all said and done, you're still a cardiologist, or you're still an ophthalmologist, or you're still a neurosurgeon, you're still an OBGYN, board certified. And once you have all those credentials, who cares that you went to Johns Hopkins and got abused? You know, who cares? So go to the program that really is going to be ACGME is really key. Wait, did you, have, it? you didn't have your hand up? You had your hand up. I have two hands. You had. Uh, Whenever you're going to the looking for a residency position, if you are looking to do to go straight away uh, uh, from your residency without going to a fellowship, what kind of? Could you give us a few words on uh, whether to choose an academic institution versus a community-based program? So this is fellowship for residency. Boy, I'm so glad you asked that question. Okay, this is, this is one of the areas that catering. we're really experts at that particular thing. There is a myth, and they will tell you this, that in order to get a fellowship, you have to go to a, a university program, that you can't go to a community program. Now I can speak for Kettering's um, program. So at Kettering, we, our residency program, the majority of our residents do fellowships, and they get fellowships at phenomenal institutions. We have one fellowship program at Kettering Cardiology. Um, and so, uh, let's see, we developed the cardiology program about four years ago, four or five years ago now. And that was because cardiology is extremely competitive. Um, the more money you make, the more competitive especially is, regardless of if it's really that bad or not. But the fact is that cardiology is difficult to get accepted to. So we decided, and we had, we had like one or two residents who did not match in cardiology for that reason. So we decided to, and we have phenomenal stuff at, at, at Kettering. My husband's the head. Have you guys heard of the, of the transcatheter aortic valve replacements that they're doing now? You can get your aortic valve replaced without even making a incision in your chest. It's like a beautiful thing. My husband has headed up that particular program and so um, at Kettering. So we have everything under the sun, a wonderful cardiology services. So we said, let's start a cardiology fellowship. And so we have a cardiology fellowship. But so far as hematology, oncology, you know, nephrology, GI, endocrinology, rheumatology, whatever, every resident from Kettering for the last 20 years back, whatever, that has applied to a fellowship has been accepted to a fellowship. Now, I cannot say for every single community program. We have a very large program, and we also have, it's affiliated with with Wright State University, although we are separate. Now, we stayed separate. All the other programs in Dayton joined together, but we stayed separate because of the unique spiritual component that we have at Kettering. And having done that, we've had tremendous success getting our residents matched into great, great programs. They've gone to Johns Hopkins, Baylor, I mean, Stanford, just University of Michigan, all kinds of programs to, to get to, into uh, fellowships. So I don't know that it makes a big difference uh, so far as, as where you go in terms of every community program. terms of our program, it makes absolutely no difference. And when they tell you what they look at, People think there's some magic in going to a great program. The magic comes in medical school. Because the one thing they look at is your board passing score. USMLE will follow you for the rest of your life. So you invest in USMLEs now, you'll have a great time later. I'll tell you an interesting story. We have a resident at Kettering who um, failed his, the, first, the second part of his, his uh, USMLE the first time. And he applied to cardiology. It's funny, funny, the the fellowship director came to me and said, I can't take this guy because he failed his boards once. That was the only reason, the only reason. Nothing else. So the USMLE really counts. When you go to medical school, I just talked to uh, Alan Nedley. Uh, Does anybody know Andrew Yeager, first years? Andrew Yeager. He's one of my sons. Uh, But anyhow, that's a long story. But he's my boy. I, I said, Andrew? I want you to be the top of your class, and you nail that USMLE. It'll follow you the rest of your life. And that's the most important piece not where you train. The reason our residents, our residents get like 20-something interviews for fellowship. Each each one that they're like going broke, going to interviews. If the USMLE score is good, you'll do great, regardless of where you go. So I can't say, both of you, the one that asked the AC Jimmy question mentioned that. And this fellowship question with community, with the university based that's, that's great stuff. Yeah. The, the, the question that I would, uh, I appreciate your response to uh, that, the direction I was uh, wanting to, to turn that was, uh, if you want to go straight away from a residency, straight into Mission field work. OK. Or something like that, what are thoughts uh, that we should be thinking about when you choose a residency program? Yeah. So you want to go straight, straight from your residency, to the mission field. Um, That is something that usually most everyone does just like that. They go straight from whatever uh, residency they trained in, straight into into the mission field without any problems whatsoever. Um, Now, I know of at least one returning missionary who had to do some retraining once they got back. Um, Because things changed much in the states that they're very different overseas. so there may be a little and, and the Scouts were in the mission field for a long time. Uh, your dad's a surgeon. Your mom is family practice, and they went straight to the mission field after residency, right? They worked for four years, OK. Were you considering going to the mission field? Yeah. You were wanting to work first, or what were you wanting to do? OK. I don't know what the, I don't know what the benefit of working first and then going would be. Um, you know, I don't know what the, what the, what the benefit would, would really be other than to get some experience, to get more. more. Now, if, it's, if you're a DMA, though, they, they will pay. Are you a DMA? Oh, you're not, okay. I think you can sign up afterwards, can't you? Okay, I think that that actually is probably wise, you know. Um, and it depends how you went to medical school. I'll talk about finances in a minute, but it depends how you went to medical school. If you have a lot of debt, the mission field does not pay you much in terms of, of financial reward. And so that might be a drawback. Um, you are never as bright as when you finish residency. Take it from me, you're never as bright as when you finish residency. And uh, you may do some, a whole lot of good by going at a point when you finish residency. You feel like you, know, you can practice out there where no one's going to sue you and, and do a great job, then return to the States you know, with some confidence that you've had some experience. Doing no harm. Yes, go ahead. Um, so my question is, uh, let's say you want to end up in Loma Linda. Yes. Would you recommend staying in Loma Linda for your work next week, or going somewhere where you can get better experience or knowledge and then coming back to home? OK. So, OK. So Loma Linda is a great place. I trained there. my residency, everything. I thought I was going to live and die in Loma Linda. Until I left Loma Linda. Then I realized, you know what, I could never live and die in Loma Linda. (laughs) So, so far as training goes, it's nice to see something else. The training you get at Loma Linda back in my era, which was now three decades ago, over three decades ago, was phenomenal training. I loved it. I was very, very well trained as an internist. Back in the day, when information was not so big as it is now, information is just Knowledge has increased just exponentially, you know. Um, but so far as, you know, going and getting more, seeing more and coming back, seeing more has to do with how much you put into it, how much reading and so forth. Um, it really doesn't have so much to do, you're, you're, it's very surprising. The eye sees what the mind knows. I encourage everybody, study really hard. Study really hard. Learn the foundations of medicine. Study really hard. I have my, I have my residence now in a reading program in Harrison's textbook of internal medicine. I said, I want you to read your Bible in the morning. Harrison's at night. Read that book. Because that's where everything, I've, I have diagnosed things I have never seen along. Like, I'm, all of a sudden, I see 20 years. I say, I know what that is. I read about that. I know that thing. So you have to go and see some more stuff. That's not the reason to leave Loma Linda. The question is, do you want to stay in Loma Linda? That's, that's really, I think, would be probably more thing. If family lives there and so forth, that may be a reasonable thing. But, but going someplace else to see more stuff may not actually be that. It's highly overrated. Highly overrated, yeah. All right, other questions? Other questions? OK. Now, let me address this money issue just a little bit. Um, how many of you are going to medical school on student loans? OK. How many fortunes? <laughs> you put two hands up, huh? Yeah, it's rough. It's really rough. When I went to medical school, like I said, I, I graduated, from, graduated from medical school in 1982. That was 32 years ago. 32 and a half years ago, I graduated from medical school. You guys probably think, boy, she's really the dark ages. I am the dark ages. But when I finished, I think it's, I get ahead of it. When I finished medical school, I had $70,000 worth of debt for four years of medical school. That's seven zero. My husband um, had $30,000 worth of debt, and it wasn't really from school, but um, he was living expenses and so forth. He was fortunate. His grandparents paid his medical school. Um, and back then we thought, boy, this is a lot of debt. I mean, I hear what's happening now, uh, give me a figure, like 200 something, 250,000. I mean, that is, that's like buying a house, They could be buying two houses in some places, right? That's absolutely ridiculous. When my husband so so I was in a well, I'll tell you, I'll tell you in order for you to understand this. I met my husband on a backpack trip. I just finished my residency and he was a third year medical student. I'm older than my husband. Okay. So I was in I we moved to Kettering. Uh my husband started residency in July of eighty nine at Kettering. We, we got married in December, so I didn't marry, move till after our wedding. And um, I, I looked around my husband's classmates in residency, interns driving BMWs. My husband was driving a 1985 Pontiac Sunbird, and I was an attending, making an attending salary. All these his co- colleagues are fellow residents. I thought they hit the jackpot. Amazing! I thought so it's one of the first things when you get out of medical school. Have you guys heard of Dave Ramsey? He's kind of obnoxious, but if you get beyond the obnoxious. The principles, he says, are absolutely right. He insults people, he's rude. Uh, He says he's a Christian. I have to believe that he is. But don't live like a doctor when you get that piece of paper that says you're an MD. Don't live like a doctor. Live like a pauper. Live like, like no one else now, so you can live like no one else later. That's the Dave Ramsey, right? Okay. Do not go buy the new car. We didn't buy any new vehicle for years. We had to drive my husband's... i tell you a funny story. One time, we, we used to go backpacking, then we graduated to canoeing up in Canada, above Bounty Waters. One time, my, we were driving my husband's Pontiac Sunbird up to Minnesota, and the thing broke down, and I hated the car anyhow. And we didn't feel like we wanted to spend any money. It was in the middle of nowhere in some place in Wisconsin, and we didn't want to spend the money on a rental car that was much. So the law provided we had to rent a wreck. We did. We went to rent a wreck and rented a vehicle. It was so ugly. Two physicians driving to Minnesota in the ugliest car you can possibly imagine. But I tell you that for a reason. Drive the ugliest thing you can drive until your debts are paid off. That sounds really harsh. But there is nothing like being debt free. Nothing like it. Even the home don't owe anybody any money. The borrower is slave to the lender. That's what the Bible says. So I would urge you to have financial principles that are sound, devoid of debt, pay off your debts. Um, as a, as a, when you finish your residency, you get out, you get a good job, you make a lot of money. If you put all if you live in a two-bedroom apartment with your four children, And you put all the extra money, you pay the faithful tithe and offering to God. Faith, right off the top, pay the faithful. And everything else you put literally to your debt and you do like Dave Ramsey says. For me, it's easy. Eat rice and beans and beans and rice. I'm a West Indian. I grew up eating beans and rice and rice. I say, hey, that's gourmet food. But really, beans and rice and rice and beans. Eat simply, do not go out to eat. Because many reasons, one of them is food's unhealthy. It really is. When you go to the Cheesecake Factory, it's scary. You know what we do? My husband and I go to the Cheesecake Factory. We get our iPhones out, and the really poor wait- waitress is sitting there, going, what are they doing? Look at everything, Who can't order that, can't order that. Salad, please, literally. And we split it, the salad. So the food's unhealthy, so you don't want to go out and eat all this junk. Stay home, make the food at home. That's what you need to do. Get out of debt. Get out of debt. You will never be happier than when you pay off the, your loan for the mortgage company. And when you get a mortgage for your house, don't get more house than you can afford in 10 years to pay your mortgage off, really, honestly. 10 years, the mortgage is done. Buy your cars only in cash. If you can't pay cash, don't buy the car. I'm serious, I'm telling you the truth. Brian I have practiced this and, and our life is happy because we don't owe anybody anything. We can do anything at any time we want. We can say, mission field? Okay. We can walk away from it, because it's don't owe anybody anything. So I have a big burden for healthcare professionals, people fin- finishing medical school and dental school, that they want to live like a dentist, live like a doctor. You're in debt. You're a debtor. Live like a debtor. Don't buy anything. And the boat? Forget about the boat. Don't ever buy the boat. I'm serious. I really am. This is a, we're living in the last days. We need to live like the people, the remnant people of God in the last days. And I have nothing, nothing against buying, you know, nice clothes and super and looking nice. But certainly, there's stuff we just don't need. You know, you can want it, but you don't need it. Any any comments on the financial my, my financial advice, my husband? And I want to teach a financial seminar because three Adventists are in debt. We just don't like that. Comments on on that financial issues. Yes, go ahead. I have similar principles as yours and actually I finished medical school debt-free and I'm not from a rich family or anything similar, you know, so it is possible if you plan ahead save your money and you use your money wisely to medical school. Well, some of my friends were living like kings in nice apartments and nice cars and everything and now they have a huge debt, you know. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, It's very bad. Yeah, it's bad. Yes, go ahead. Yeah, I mean, after a while you could invest, but you're not going to invest until you pay off your debts. <laughs> so, so basically, saving your money is how you spend your money. This is really funny because I grew up a, a, from a West Indian home. My parents had, were, my parents are fiscal conservatives. So when I married my husband, he was shocked. Because I keep a, an accurate record of every penny. You ask my husband, I can tell him down to the penny exactly what we have in any... So this is really funny. He said, I want to buy such and such. I said, I tell him, we don't have any money. Even still, I tell him, we don't have any money. He says, what do you mean? looks up at the backyard, what? What do you mean? I said, we have no money <laughs> because I, I, we live on a budget still, OK? Because I think it's the only way not to spend money is to live on a budget, period. I don't care how much money you make. I don't care if you make $2 million a year, live on a budget. You won't overspend that way. That's what I personally believe. And so if you live on a budget, account for every red cent that comes out of your pocket. If you count for every red cent, you will not overspend. You'll have money to spare. When we came to the States, my dad was a professor at Walwall College. He saved money. My parents today live like kings and queens. As a professor at Walwall College, living like a rich man now, they saved like anything. The only way to do is to save money. Invest later, but save now. Pay off the debts. I am huge about paying off debts. When I was in medical school, four of us shared a two-bedroom apartment. My twin sister and I, and I... And I don't, I'm not advocating this, but my twin sister and I live on $50 a month for food. Or we had very simple dietary habits. Simple dietary habits. So I saw another, was there another hand up someplace? Okay. I know this price sounds very austere, but trust me, you will, be, you will never regret getting out of debt, never. Driving the BMW when you owe $250,000 on your school loans, then you buy a nice house. For how much ever? That. That's called debt. You feel bad. You have to get out of debt first, and then you'll be feeling a lot better afterwards. Okay. Anything else? Any other questions you guys have that I didn't address from medical students? What were you expecting when you came? Have we addressed your concerns? So forth. Okay. Well, I certainly want to uh, wish you God's blessings as you continue in his service. I think that medicine is the highest, most holy calling possible. I have never considered myself having a job. This is really fun. What I do is really fun. Being a program director is really, really fun. Having the residents come to my office, I can have prayer with the residents. Um, and as you when, you, when you interview and so forth, just kind of check out the situation. But my residents have prayer with their patients. They have spiritual conversations with them and all kinds of things. Invite them to church and, and so forth like that. So, so it's a very, very nice thing. But this is a call. This is not a job. You'll never, this is not a job. This is a wonderful thing to get paid not to work. You know, it's just a, a great, a great situation. So let's pray as we close. Father in heaven, you have given us such an incredible work to do to serve you in medicine. I pray that every young person here appreciate the privilege that you've given each one of them and the duty you've given each one of them to serve you wholeheartedly, and to serve you in humility, and to serve you with just reckless abandon. I pray that as they serve their patients, that they will see Jesus in them, and be drawn to him, and that souls will be won to your kingdom. Be with those who are applying now for residency. Give them wisdom as they put together their match list, their rank list, that you will be glorified. And as they go to secular institutions, because they may have to go to secular institutions, Father, I pray that you protect them, put a hedge of protection around them, that they will be bright, shining lights in places that are dark. And for the first years and the second years coming up, Lord, I just pray that you give them clarity as they begin to think about how best they can serve you, what profession, what branch of medicine, are undecided as yet, they don't know what to do, guide them, Lord. Show them their talents, their skills that you've gifted them with, that they may glorify you. And all together as physicians, Lord, I just pray a blessing on the physician community that we will serve you as Jesus served, as a teacher and a healer and as a preacher. May we appreciate the gospel in our own personal lives that we can share with our patients. For Jesus' sake, amen. This media was produced by Audioverse for Amen, Adventist Medical Evangelism Network. If you would like to learn more about Amen, please visit www.amensda.org. Or if you would like to listen to more free online sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.